we have got a packed, packed show today. There's too much news. Stop it, everybody. There's so much news. Producer Jono uh, is threatening us. If we talk too much, he's just going to end the recording. Yeah, we just, so. we're going to crack straight into it today. <laughs> eh? Go, quick, read it. Read okay, it. kia ora, this is news. Well, I'm Emil. <laughs> and I'm Imogen. And this is what's worth talking about. Controversial British speaker Posey Parker is allowed to come into New Zealand. So how does a decision like that get made? We go behind the scenes of the process. The dancing in the streets in Paris around piles of flaming garbage. We break down why hundreds of thousands of workers are striking in the city of love. A New Zealand Olympian turns out to be a drugs cheat. But what happens to the national records he's set over the years? And where's the first place you'd go for tea if you tunnelled your way out of a prison cell? It's a mighty big question. We've got all of that coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. Anti-trans activist Posey Parker, or Kelly J. Keen Minchell, will be allowed to travel to New Zealand. Of course, we talked about this on yesterday's pod. The controversial speaker's visa waiver was under review by Immigration NZ after a rally Parker held in Melbourne was attended by a group of people doing Nazi salutes. Staff's Jonathan Killick's been looking into how Immigration New Zealand made its decision here and is with us now. Talk us through what Immigration New Zealand needed to weigh up here. The first thing they'd look at is whether she poses a security risk or might be likely to commit a crime that would see her in prison. Um, and understand that there, there were groups of people who were doing Nazi salutes and that some of the content of what she's saying, it could be referred to as hate speech, but as, as we know that uh, hate speech has been debated in Parliament at the moment and they're having difficulty defining it. I guess when they considered it, they couldn't determine that there was a clear link to her and the actions that were taken and whether she incited those salutes. But that's just one part of it. Um, the law also allows the government to deny people entry based on things that are a little bit fuzzier, more philosophical, uh, whether they're likely to be a threat to public interest. That allows the government a certain degree of discretion. We're manoeuvring in a bit of a grey area here, are we? And ultimately what this comes down to is the government had to make a judgement call and this was the judgement that they came to. Is that sort of the easiest shorthand here? Yeah, that's about right. Um, They're weighing up public interest and there's obviously, it could be argued that there is a public interest in not having these views heard, but uh, there's also, there could be unintended consequences. You know, having spoken to a, a legal expert, she believes that they might be concerned that if they don't allow her into the country, that she may challenge that with a judicial review. And uh, that that would set quite a scary precedent because if someone came along with you know, even worse views, that they might automatically be let in. And uh, by all appearances, uh, she's well resourced and, and and possibly is capable of making such a case. And you will have noted that she publicly called out Prime Minister Chris Hipkins. Uh, which I've had it on, on legal <laughs> advisement that that's not a good idea if you're seeking <laughs> you know, a visa to New Zealand. But uh, nonetheless, the gauntlet was laid. So that could have been a consideration. How does this decision compare to others we've seen in the past as well? 
Well, you might recall uh, that Tyler, the creator, he, he was denied entry. And in, in that case, it, it might have been easier for the government because there was reporting about a something of a riot. Someone was injured, uh, a member of the public. So it's easy to draw a line there and say that there might be a threat to, to public order. Whereas in, in this case... You know, it's not as clear-cut, perhaps. Thanks, Jonathan. And Jonathan was also telling us just before that while he was looking around at this story, he found that more people have actually RSVP'd to events protesting Posey Parker being here than have said that they're going to attend her actual event. We want to take you to Paris this morning, beloved Newsable listeners. City of love. City of lights and romance, you probably think it sounds a bit like this. Well, you'd be wrong, because more recently it's been sounding more like this. In fact, it's been sounding like that for about two months and tonight it could sound even worse with a cross-sector day of strikes and protests planned after the French government rushed through a bill that had raised the retirement age from 62 to 64. Bear in mind that still makes its retirement age lower than some other European countries and lower than us in Aotearoa. Now Emma, you've taken one for the team here, you've been reading up on this all day today, so why... Does the French government want to raise the retirement age? To put it simply, it's costing France way too much money. It's estimated without making changes to the retirement scheme. In a matter of years, the pensions deficit will be more than 21 billion New Zealand dollars annually. But by raising the age just by those two extra years, it'll put an additional 31 billion back into the kitty each year. There's a lot of outrage here. I mean, the French do love a protest. They do indeed. But like, why so much outrage? Raising the pension age it was always going to be controversial, but added into that mix was Macron sidestepping a vote in Parliament and forcing through the reforms himself. Taxes in France are also quite high, so early retirement is seen as a reward. It's the ultimate do the mahi, get the treats vibe over there. The pension system is thought of as the foundation of the state's responsibilities and relationship with uh, the French citizens. And also when we say outrage, we mean outrage, right? Hundreds of thousands of people have been protesting against this train and metro services have been disrupted because rail workers are joining the strike. Rubbish collectors uh, have joined in too. So Paris is just filled with these overflowing rubbish bins that are getting used and set alight while everyone's protesting as well. Paris, um, even at the best of times, not the nicest smelling city, uh, <laughs> I can only imagine. Right, so <laughs> what, what what happens next? Do we, do we have any indication? That is the golden question, right? This issue has people mad, really mad, and it's not likely they're going to become unmad anytime soon. Here's what union leader Catherine Perret said. The unions continue to independently demand the withdrawal of this reform with calm and determined actions. They have decided to call for a new day of strikes and demonstrations to be held on March 23rd. Uh, that's overnight, our time tonight. Uh, so a bit of a wait and see how bad things actually get and whether either side's forced to compromise here. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you.
Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts. One of New Zealand's most decorated long-distance runners, Zane Robertson, has copped an eight-year ban for doping and tampering with evidence. Robertson competed in the marathon event at the Tokyo Olympics and still holds a bunch of national records here in Aotearoa. So here's a question. What happens to athletics records if the person who set them turns out to be a drugs cheat? The person to answer that question is Stuff's national correspondent, Dana Johansson, and she's here to chat. Hello. Hello. Can you just take us through, very briefly, what did Robertson do? Uh, yes, well, he tested positive for the banned substance EPO after an in-competition in Manchester last year, which is very bad. Yeah, that's like the Lance Armstrong thing, right? Yes, yeah. yes. And then he went and dug himself an even bigger hole by coming up with a bizarre explanation for how this EPO ended up in his system. Um, he claimed he went to a Kenyan medical facility and to, to get the COVID-19 vaccine, um, and he was mistakenly then treated for the virus, and there... Treatment included the administration of EPO. Um, and so to kind of support these these claims, he procured um, false witness testimony and falsified records. So that meant he was then up for a further four-year ban for tampering. So, yeah, he effectively doubled his ban because of his bizarre explanation. You've been doing some stories lately about drug-free sport New Zealand being lax with uh, the drug testing here. Does this play in to that at all? Yeah, it is kind of awkward timing for Athletics New Zealand. Um, you, you may recall the story last week where Athletics New Zealand had received a bit of a slap on the wrist from the Athletics Integrity Unit for not doing enough testing. This doesn't quite fall into that same realm because Robertson famously has been based overseas um, since he's about 17. He and his brother Jake picked up and shipped off to, to Kenya and have been based overseas then. So they have been tested as part of that overseas testing regime and the overseas agencies weren't quite as restricted as, as New Zealand during that same time period. So he, this is a curious thing because he still holds national records here, right? I think it's like six or something like that, the half marathon and the mar marathon and so on and so forth. But like he's, he's a drugs cheat now, we can call him that. So what happens to those records? Do they just get stricken off or an asterisk next to them? Like... No, well, I guess it's only natural that that suspicion is cast over those previous performances, but at this stage there is no evidence that he was doping during the same time period those records were set. So at this stage, the only kind of performance that's been scrubbed from the record is the event in which he tested positive at, which was in Manchester. Um, however, drug-free sport, New Zealand do retest samples every year. So you can imagine that, that yeah. Robertson is, is someone they'll be looking at quite closely for that retesting programme. Dana Johansson, uh, thanks very much for your time today. Well, the number of hospitality, tourism and construction jobs advertised online rose in February as employers look to increase hiring activity in a tight job market. Data from Seek's latest employment report shows the number of ads rose 1% in February from January. But in this new job market, how crucial is having a degree? Are all those years we've spent at uni and all that debt we got into even necessary? Vicky Walton from Frog Recruitment's with us. Hi, Vicky. 
do you still need a degree to get a job? Obviously, in some instances, absolutely. Um, lawyers, accountants, medical professionals, um, you know, you'd hope your surgeon had qualified top in their class. But it's, it's more that organisations now are focusing on practical experience, life experience, tenure. Um, companies are trying to navigate a candidate shortage. So, you know, they're really doing what they can to secure the best talent. Tell me a bit more about what you mean there when you say practical experience, life experience. I, I guess we're talking soft skills here, right? What what benefits do those bring to an uh, organisation? So, transferable skills or soft skills um, are usually the things that are learnt on the job. Um, you know, the book smart versus, you know, the, the type of person that actually gets people. Um, you know, the types of skills um, that... A degree doesn't show or a CV doesn't show on paper, but um, that make um, a team fun to be a part of, you know, and that's that uh, applies to managers as well. Um, I think those are becoming more and more important as we realise that um, candidates have a choice nowadays. They have a choice to work for you or not to work for you, and they leave when they're not happy or if their values aren't aligned with your organisation. You mentioned a, a number of jobs where you would still be expected to get a degree. Can you list off a couple of jobs or industries where the degrees don't seem to matter as much anymore? Uh, companies who are ironically in the training industry, they want people who have those um, transferable skills, who can deal with people, who aren't threatening. Um, but a lot of um, industries are open to um, people from varying backgrounds as long as they've got those transferable skills um, and a uh, Values are aligned with the organisation. Vicky Walton from Frog Recruitment, thank you so much for joining us. You're very welcome. Thank you. Emma, if you were doing a degree like not towards a job but just for pleasure, what degree do you reckon you would do? Uh, I've already thought about this. Have you? Strategic studies here (laughs) here in Wellington. International relations fascinates me. Right. Okay. I like that. What about you? Uh, Film composition. Like movie movie making. Yeah, yeah. Being a being a film composer. Like music. Yeah, music. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I thought you meant like. I was like, you mean director? <laughs> Imagine if that's directors could refer to themselves like that though. I I am a film composer. <laughs> I compose films. They would be so pretentious. <laughs> yeah. We're podcast composers. Blackfern's fans, don't worry about Ruby Tui hanging up her boots in favour of the commentary box anytime soon, although I'm sure that she'd do just as good a job in there as she does on the field. Uh, here is what she told Zoe George on this week's episode of Stuff's sports podcast, The Podium. Well, every game I've worn, at least my mouth guard or my boots commentating, so <laughs> I'm, I'm itching to have a run around again. It's a bit tough to commentate with a mouth guard in. Uh- <laughs> Extremely. It's even harder to sit there with your boots on. Emma, give me an impression of what we would sound like if we had to wear mouth guards hosting this. Well, I stuck my fingers in my mouth like that. Does that work? Yeah, clearly this is useful. I'm a meal. I don't, I've never actually... Um, Worn a mouth guard? No. Really? I didn't really play sport. I was a theatre kid. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, before you have time to respond to that, you can hear the rest of Ruby Tui's interview on today's episode of The Podium. That'll drop around midday on stuff.co.nz and wherever you get your podcasts. You see that like such a theatre kid. We got to talk about this absolutely amazing. I'm unsure if amazing is quite the right word, but the story of those two inmates who escaped a Virginia jail but then were foiled by their stomachs. Yeah. So this is just a wonderful yarn. Um, these two guys, they escaped from their cell 
uh, allegedly using tools that they fashioned out of toothbrushes. They dug a hole in the wall. It's kind of like a really crap, like the no frills version of the Shawshank Redemption. Um, they tunnel their way out. They were free. Woohoo. Oh my God. What do we do now? Well, they got 11 kilometers away from the jail. Good effort, by the way. And then <laughs> they were feeling a bit peckish, as you would be. So they decided to sit down and have pancakes. And um, surprise, surprise, while they were having their pancakes, they didn't even get the takeaway. While they were having their pancakes at 3.30am, they were spotted. Apparently it was phoned by someone who was also at the restaurant and uh, re-caught by police, put back in jail. Oh, glorious. you got to feel sorry for them. Like I think there's two things I had to say here. Obviously they've been, they've been locked up, so they would have been yeah. planning whatever meal that they wanted when they were finally free. And then second of all, if you get a hankering for pancakes, you you got to eat pancakes. <laughs> Nothing replaces it. Yeah, producer Jono looked up the Google Maps of where the IHOP is compared to the jail, and apparently they, they would have had to walk past a McDonald's and a Wendy's on the way, because I just love this mental image of them walking past McDonald's. Hey, you feel like a cheeseburger? Um, I don't know. Walk past a Wendy's, some chilli. Um, I don't know. I'm not really feeling chilli. But pancakes. Oh. Like I said, when you get a hankering, there's nothing that, although I, I'm, I'm partial to a McDonald's hotcakes. I hear you. I Interesting hear you. choice not to get them takeaway, though, and continue their um, their escapade. I would be interested in our listeners' feedback on what their first meal would be if they had tunnelled their way out of a jail cell, purely hypothetically, of course. Um, don't do that. Don't do that. Flick us an email, newsable at stuff.co.nz, and also get in touch on the Instagram page. That's Newsable for today. I'm Imogen Wells. And I'm Emil Donovan. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow us on your favourite podcast player and leave us a rating and a review. It helps other listeners to discover the show, and we would just really appreciate it. You can also follow us on social media to stay up to date on new episodes, behind-the-scenes content, and all things Newsable. You can find us on Insta, TikTok, and YouTube just by searching Newsable NZ. Have a great day. If you liked listening to this pod, help us make more like this. Visit stuff.co.nz support.